You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how are you doing? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, episode 163. My name is Matt Phillips, creator of OneCheckLive.com. And as always, this episode is recorded live on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel on a Tuesday at eight o'clock. So if you are listening to the podcast and you think I'd like a bit of that live going on, then you can ask our questions, ask questions to the guest um, directly and hang out with other people in the live lounge. Then all you need to do is think Tuesdays, eight o'clock. All I need to do is go over to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. Um, but if you are listening to the podcast, then thank you very much. Please, please, please ask every week, do us the favor of leaving a rating and a review because it just helps the good word of our guest get out there higher when people do a search on Google. So in this episode entitled Football Training Female Athletes as Females, my special guest will be Michelle Lyons, women's health physio and creator of CelebrateMuliability.com, who has recently returned from FIFA Women's World Cup in Sydney, working for the FIFA Women's Health Report to improve the landscape of female-specific strategies to help female footballers. Michelle, we will be with us very soon. Just before that, um, a big thanks to my guest last week in episode 162, which was called Tennis, 24 Years at Wimbledon. And my guest was Steve Bedford, who, as well as working at every Wimbledon Tennis Championship since 1999, um, has also worked at all of the ATP World Tour Finals at the O2 in London, um, also done a couple of seasons with Arsenal and Brentford Football Clubs, has authored three books, um, Sports Performance Massage, Recovery from Strenuous Exercise and Muscular Cramp in Athletes, um, and obviously had a load to say. Fascinating guy, started off with Swedish massage back in the 90s. And I'm not sure if it came across enough in the episode, and we talked about it a little bit after we went off air. He's just another classic example of somebody who, if you put yourself in the right place, you do the groundwork in the beginning, you network, then sky's the limit. Honestly, he went from Swedish massage, not to say that's like basics, but he went from that to working at Wimbledon, to working with Arsenal, to um, authoring a couple of very good, well-selling books. So sky's the limit, but it's all about just having the confidence in yourself and, and putting yourself out there, particularly in the early days. So um, that episode, as always, is available on all popular podcast apps, including Spotify. And if you want to watch the video, then just go up to YouTube and you can watch the video recording there. So we've had rugby this month. We've had tennis. Now we turn our attention to football, specifically women's football. Um, and it gives me great delight to welcome our special guest for this episode, Michelle Lyons. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey, Michelle. Hey. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Excellent. Lovely to see you. Um podcast listeners you cannot see us obviously but um i'm just going to say thank you to michelle out loud because you've joined us from a car haven't you <laughs> yes uh, a few internet difficulties at home so i hopped into the car and came into town because uh, i really wanted to have this chat with you about uh, women's football and what we're doing to really make things better for female athletes that's so kind of you. I had to say it out loud because it'd be the elephant in the room. Otherwise, the only thing I'm <laughs> thinking of in my mind is no one knows she's sitting in a car. But no, I appreciate your dedication um, to getting Absolutely. the good word out there. Um, I've told Michelle that uh, people in the live lounge, if you've got any questions, obviously, thanks for joining us, people. If you've got any questions, and just throw them out just to bring up a few of you on the screen. 
And um, when you do join us live, if you do ask a question, then I can bring it up on the screen. For example, Nikki Mansfield says, oh, you're multitasking tonight, doing a bit of work from the Necky Lounge, but I didn't want to miss this chance to hear Michelle talk again. Looking oh. forward to this. Um, so thanks for joining us, Nikki. Gary Benson, founder of the STA, is with us as well. Gary says, evening all. Hope all is well in your world. We've also got new lease sports therapy. Gary Newbold. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Uh, Brian Huxley's in here and people are still coming through. Glenn Murphy. Um, let's have a look. Oh, Glenn Murphy's just made a sexist comment about multitasking. Um, thanks, Glenn. Good to see you. And uh, yeah, and other people coming in. So do feel free to ask questions. So, Michelle, um, how are you? You well? I am very well. I'm recovering, a little bit of jet lag, just lingering on. But um, I expect no sympathy because I was gallivanting in Sydney for the uh, Women's World Cup final and the Women in Football Convention and uh, bringing, doing some work just to, to further our journey with the FIFA Women's Health Project. So no sympathy asked for or expected. But um, yeah, exciting times in women's football. Excellent. And we're going to talk all about that very shortly. You're very busy. I mean, I follow you on social <laughs> media because the content you put out there is fantastic. Oh. We'll give links to that um, at the end of the show. But I mean, you were a guest uh, back in March, which has flown by, uh, talking about women's health and lower back Crazy. pain, which is episode mm. 141. Um, and uh, the month afterwards, you launched what seems to be a very successful podcast, yeah, uh, Celebrate well. Liberty. Had some lovely guests on there, people who have crossed our paths as well, like uh, Gwanir Donnelly talking about diastasis and uh, and Brockwell, the athletic female. He had Sandy Hilton as well, who I've never talked to yet directly, talking about different types of pain, which must have been a lovely oh, she's experience great, as well. She? Amazing. Yeah. As another person, I just, I, you know, you've got those people, especially on Facebook, you just add to your favorite list, haven't you? Like the top 30. You're there, obviously. Matt well, Fitzgerald's there and good Sandy's save. there. You're in good company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and everyone else, you never really see anything they put. But, um, yeah, you're all part of the top 30. So thank you. Um, how do you manage it? You're so busy. You, we were saying before, you, you were, you're so, I don't want to say mothering, because there's plenty of fathers who do good fathering. But you just look after your 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 people. I'm just going away to Sydney now. I've put everything here. <laughs> Teach us. How do you manage to manage your time so well and, and put so, so good information out there? Oh, look, I'd love to say it's because I'm just such an organized person. But if if you knew me at all, you wouldn't realize that was a complete lie. I just, you know, I I, prior, I try to prioritize what's important for me in terms of, you know, seeing clients, um, teaching, reading, learning, talking. And I'm really lucky because, you know, over the years, over the past two decades particularly, I've done a lot of teaching um, kind of nationally and internationally. And so I, I know a lot of clever people, which is great. And most of them are very gracious about coming on the podcast for a chat um, and going, you know, being able to go back to conferences in person again um, is just such a joy because you get to really connect with people in real life. And I think it's it's kind of the networking and the the brainstorming that you can have in person. Zoom is great, but it's just not the same. So I, I'm lucky I get to, you know, I get to call what I do work um, and I'm just I'm deeply nerdy but deeply passionate um, I'm multi-passionate about many aspects of women's health I think it's a golden age to be working in female health and I'm just excited to be a part of a couple of different streams that are taking the conversation forward hopefully beautiful and your passion definitely comes across I mean the episode 141 we got some fantastic feedback afterwards and you're oh. gracious enough to give discounts for your courses and, and people jumped on that after hearing you so um, it all pays off hopefully the enthusiasm and passion you put into it um, if people just to let people know now it's well worth um, going along to Michelle's website 
taken this from March, this screenshot. I'm not sure if it's been upgraded since then or changed, but I'll bring it up to the screen anyway. Let's put it up there. Because what I do like is um, the Celebrate um, Muliebrity, which you're going to have to explain again now. Because I don't think many of our people know yet what Muliebrity is. But yeah. Can I just say, you're probably the only person, apart from me, who I think pronounces it correctly. <laughs> so, you know, kudos right. to, to you. you. Um, it, muliebrity is basically, it's an old English word and it means the art and state of being a woman. And I think that should be celebrated. But, you know, I think we, we would all recognize that particularly in sports, um, it has not always been celebrated. Um, so I'm really just trying to shine a light on the the specific differences and needs of females, whether we're talking about back pain like we did back in March or we're talking about female footballers like we're doing tonight. Um, because, you know, women are not small men. But for a long time, a lot of the research um, has been done on men. And then as Christine Yu, who wrote that great book about female athletes, um, she says, basically, we shrink it and we pink it, you know, to, to make it apply for women. And that doesn't always work really well. But only 6% of all the research that's done in sports science is done exclusively on females which is crazy. And the rest of us, we're extrapolating, we're bringing it over. We're, we're starting to see that change a little bit, but we, we have to really, really respect the fact that female athletes have different needs. And, um, you know, whether we're talking about any aspect of female health, you can't just take the male version of it as the norm and then just size it down for women. So whether that's understanding anatomy or physiology or hormonal influences, but I would also say looking at the influence of gender and culture and society, um, those all play a huge role. And, you know, even talking or thinking about something like ACL injuries, which unfortunately we've just seen an epidemic of this year, it feels like, you know, for a long time we thought, oh, well, it's just due to estrogen making ligaments lax. And actually, it turns out that it's probably not the hormones that are driving um, the issues with ACLs even though we know that female athletes are about six times more likely to tear their ACLs than their male counterparts, there's some really interesting research coming out showing that it might actually be a lack of exposure to foundational skills as a young athlete, access to training, and then access to, to good coaching as they move through their athletic careers. So it's it's kind of an intersectional approach, if you like, you know, Yes, there are some sex differences, but there are also some gender and culture differences there as well. So it's an exciting field to be working in. It's maddening sometimes as well when you, you know, when you realize the gap that there is between the attention that's devoted towards female athletes um, compared to, their, again, their male counterparts. But the wheel is slowly turning and um, I'm there to put my shoulder to it as best I can and help move it along as well. That's so interesting. Um, you've already kind of dropped a bombshell because I'm sure a lot of people out there are thinking, oh, yeah, they know that, you know, female athletes are more susceptible to ACL injury. And it's probably because there's more laxity, like you say. But now, thanks to better quality research, as you pointed out, yeah, um, it's more to do with what they were doing as they're younger. Is that connected with the dangers of only doing one sport at too young an age? Is that kind of become a risk factor? I don't think that's the, I mean, I think it's probably a player, but I actually think it's, it's because of the culture around young female athletes. And again, it is changing. So I, I do want to highlight that, but, um, you know, we talked just before we, we started, um, going live here 
that in the UK, the FA actually banned women from competing in football between 1921 and 1971. So there's a whole 50-year gap in terms of training female footballers particularly, you know, if we, if we stick with football for this evening. But if we look at how um, teenage girls are training compared to teenage boys, and we see a huge dropout when it comes to, to teenage girls competing in team sports, um, and that is because their needs are not being met. Um, you know, maybe they're they're training in white shorts. They're afraid they're going to get their period and that's going to show through. Um, they're not being fitted appropriately for things like sports bras. Uh, female feet are different. Nike are actually just in the process of releasing a female-specific football boot. Um, but all of these things are different. So in the past, it's literally been what works for males and let's just give it, make it a little bit smaller and we'll give it to the girls and see how that goes. But it's probably because, you know, if you look at how from a very young age, male footballers are kind of going through specific coaching and maybe into academies and that level of instruction. And again, those foundational skills are not being taught as thoroughly to young female athletes. So for all of those reasons, that's probably why we see more of an injury risk with ACLs and the other big epidemic we're seeing at the minute in football is concussions. Um, we're, we're really having a problem with female footballers and concussions because, again, there's a different response to the injury there as well. We're starting to see some answers with that. Because if you look, um, if you look outside of football, say at the world of ballet, which would be traditionally more of a female-centric sport, and I do absolutely regard ballet dancers as athletes, um, because they're under huge demands. But because girls and boys that are going through ballet training from a very young age have pretty much exactly the same training the whole way through those foundational years, even though there's a lot of jumping and landing and pivoting and turning and one leg activities, there's no real discrepancy between ACL injuries in the world of ballet like we see in the world of football. And most ACL injuries are not happening because of contact. So we can't have that as a factor either. So we really have to look at how we're coaching and training and the, the availability of things like strength training for female footballers. Because a lot of the female footballers that I've talked to, um, you know, particularly if there's a mixed club environment there, um, the strength training area is very much a male domain and the girls might be sent over to stretch or do Pilates. And so they're not getting, you know, they're not building up integrity in that kinetic chain, particularly along that posterior kinetic chain. They're not learning the basics of, you know, of landing mechanics, of controlling knee movement when they do land. And I think issues like that are probably more um, to blame for what we're seeing in terms of ACLs now. Right. So that's, that's fascinating. So, so it's the inconsistency they get maybe when they're younger because of maybe they're not able to, they're, they're worried about turning up. They don't feel as supported. They're not as confident in themselves. Things aren't being talked about. There's too much taboo stuff. Yeah. And, and then, and they're not being treated the same when it comes to things like strength training. So they're missing out on important preparation for it. How yeah, are we going to so make it better then? I mean, what are coaches like these days? Cause it seems to be a common factor we had um, Lucy Gilbanks, who's a ex-international athlete, light rower, and she was saying that the coaches just didn't talk about no. um, weight, d uh, dietary um, 
issues and things because it was just get as skinny as you can and it was ignored if you were kind of like missing periods and things it was yeah is it getting better in your experience or i think it is getting it is getting better there's but there's a there's a huge amount of ground to make up but you know like even if you think about how many male coaches of teenage girls are comfortable talking about menstrual health you know, um, and we know that that's going to have a big effect on on somebody's uh, performance. You know, hormones are real and your menstrual cycle is going to have an effect on how you're performing. Like 90% of people who menstruate will have period pain or back pain and maybe they've got sleep disturbances in the second part of their cycle. So we're not saying that everything has to be structured around the individual's menstrual cycle. But if we can normalize the conversation about accommodating menstrual health into part of female athlete management that'd be a great step and you know like i said just even small things like switching from white shorts to navy or black shorts that can really alleviate a lot of underlying anxiety and distraction um that really can have an impact on performance and of course if you're distracted out in the field you know you're more likely to pick up injuries as well as as team losses so it's about acknowledging that you know, we want to train female athletes as females. And one of the propositions that I heard at the Women in Football convention was, you know, even to acknowledge the different nutritional needs at different phases of the menstrual cycle. So you could have a couple of different, you know, and this is probably more at an elite level, but having different smoothie stations available. So like in phase one of the menstrual cycle, where you might need more, say, of an anti-inflammatory focus. So you might have, you know, like ginger and omega-3s going into the smoothies at that station. Whereas maybe in the luteal phase, you know, progesterone's a bit higher. You might be a bit more prone to things like bloating or constipation. So making sure that we're incorporating, you know, fruits like kiwi, for example, or prunes into those smoothies that are really going to meet athletes where they're at. Um, But I think... It's about taking all these things, the nutrition, the strength training, sleep, recovery. But again, like just basic equipment, boots, bras, period awareness and understanding the importance of, you know, again, as you said, you know, with your previous guest, the really the serious nature of if your period stops because you're overtraining or underfueling, that has fairly significant, you know, long-term implications. Because if we're looking at red S, you know, even if you know when you're going, when you stop your period because of low energy availability, even when you get your period back within 12 months, it can take a lot longer than that for your bone density to recover. And we might not see the full effects of that until menopause when bone density really can drop off a cliff as well. So it's to be able to look at the here and now, what's happening at a team level and a performance level, but also the long-term health implications because we want to keep girls and women as active as we can for as long as we can. Heart disease is the biggest killer of women worldwide. And we know that being physically, physically active can shave about 30% of that, off that risk. So it's about really, yes, zooming into the athlete in front of you and optimizing her menstrual cycle, her nutrition, her strength training, but also being able to zoom out and seeing how that's going to play out throughout her career and um, you know and you could tie in then you know what's happening to her you know if she does decide to to get pregnant and have a baby how are we supporting her in a postnatal return to exercise 
we had more mothers playing at the Women's World Cup in Sydney than ever before and playing at obviously the highest level in the world. And that's brilliant to see. But these are obviously elite national level footballers. Wouldn't it be great if we could just see that filtering down into grassroots so we're really getting um, that support? And again, as I said, of treating women as women and not pretending that they're small men. Excellent. What was the expression you used? Shrink it and pink it. That's just shrink it and pink it. Yeah, it's from Christine Yu's book. Yeah, that's an amazing, uh, yeah, little way to remember it. Fantastic. It was one thing I noted from what you were saying there was it, it seems like more than ever we need to get professionals, which I think is what's happened with the FIFA Women's Health Report from different disciplines. You mentioned sleep, you mentioned nutrition, you mentioned yeah. knowledge of women's health, um, Red S, and all of that. So, I guess is that what FIFA Women's Health Report was all about bringing specialists from different categories together to. Absolutely. So it was, it was, you know, it's, it's such an amazing group to be a part of, because as you said, you know, we've got physios, we've got nutritionists, sleep experts, strength and conditioning experts, but we also have the football coaches, you know, and people like Don Scott at the very highest level, you know, working with the, the US women's national team, people like Georgie Brunvalds, you know, immersed in the research and um, our, our mutual friend and colleague, Emma Brockwell, again, really specialist in that postnatal rehab aspect of it. And to bring all these different minds together. And I thought it was really important that we did have the coaches on board as well, because mm. we really want to see more women going into coaching um, and hopefully to bring that level of insight because we really we're looking for change here. So as women maybe age out of playing first team sports, you know, are they going to move into coaching? Are they going to move into refereeing? How can we support them um, throughout that journey as well? Um, but ultimately, we want more of a female voice. FIFA are very supportive of this. Um, they're supporting, the you know, this female uh, health project with FIFA has been going on for the past two years. We've just launched our snapshot, our 52-page summary. And what an effort it was to get it down to 52 pages, let me tell you, because there's so much information that we feel it's necessary for coaches as well as players, as well as support staff to be aware of. Um, and it's all evidence-based and we're just trying to make it really easily applicable. Again, whether you're working with somebody at a club level your local team all the way up to elite level and, and national teams. Um, so again, it's exciting. Um, I don't have my rose colored glasses on that. Everything is rosy in the garden, you know, but we're making progress. We're making strides and we're having conversations about it because I just think even five years ago, having conversations about switching again from white shorts to, to darker shorts wouldn't have even been on people's radar, but for so many girls, that is an absolute game changer. And that might be the thing that keeps them in football. Definitely amazing. It sounds so simple as well when you stop and pause and just think about it. Or when maybe you start listening to women. That's the, that's the answer, isn't it? Because well. yeah, rather than guys <laughs> making decisions. So is it, I mean, it sounds really revolutionary. Are, are FIFA really kind of setting a new benchmark here? Or have, have other organisations kind of tried to do this beforehand? Or was FIFA really setting something new? I really feel that FIFA are kind of leaving, leading the charge here. Um, I think that what they're seeing is that, you know, they're looking at the numbers, to be honest, as well. It's, it's not entirely altruistic, I would say, because, yes, absolutely, we want more women in the game. We know women's football is really exploding in terms of popularity. Um, almost, you know, 
two, I think, did they say two million people attend, almost two million people attended the games in Australia and New Zealand. Um, the Ireland-Australia game um, in the first round qualifiers was the most watched programme in Australian television history, not just in sporting television, but across the board in any TV programming, it got the highest ratings. You had men and boys, as well as women and girls, wearing the, the Matildas jerseys and talking about team selection. People really embraced it. And so it was the first Women's World Cup that actually broke even financially, um, even with the additional financials that were given out to all the players who participated. And some of those sums, you know, are, are life changing for some of the players involved, particularly from developing nations like Haiti and other places that really have not had the support um, that the men's teams maybe have had in the past. So they recognise that it's financially viable. There's a huge appetite for it out there, but also that women's football has just come on so much, you know, so far with so little in the past. So now imagine if we start to nurture that, the possibilities are endless. But I do, I do really feel that FIFA as a, as an organisation are, are setting a good example. And I think if people see FIFA doing it, I'm hoping that other organizations will take note and follow along. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, and it's like you say, it's not, there is no altruism in business or maybe somewhere, but I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a business. You've got to make some money, yeah. but thankfully, you know, it is becoming a viable business. And like you say, this will lead to other sports. It's in, it is interesting how it's very exciting when you think, so you said in 70, women were allowed to play football again. Um, so 71, 50, yeah. Yeah, so 50 years, women say no to football. Now, 50 yeah. years after 1970, we've got this happening, which is 50 years isn't that long in terms of, you know. It's really um, nice. It happens. I mean, it's very exciting. And um, the, the yeah. Lionesses, I thought, really kind of captured hearts and minds. I mean, the support for them. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, they did so well in the Euros. But the spirit supporting um, the Lionesses was just, it was just, it was lovely to watch that kind of, you know, steamroll. Um, and I don't know, it just, it felt, this World Cup felt different. Mm. Um, the time is right. And it just really feels, it feels like it's it's kind of really getting, gathering momentum as we go. But I'm really seeing kind of the the ripples in in other sports happening as well. People are taking notice of women's football and I think that can only be of benefit to women's sports across the board. Excellent and the other exciting things I suppose which makes FIFA Women's Health Report possible is 50 years ago they probably wouldn't have been able to get 15 expert female experts together to sit around a table because like you say there just wasn't those professionals in the research but now thanks yeah. to the general movement we have got specialists like yourself like Emma Brockwell like Dr Amy Bender from Cerebra and all the other people you're working with so it's it's possible women have got a voice now thanks to professionals like yourself stepping up having the confidence to actually you know speak out yeah it's 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 i think it's just it's a number it's the perfect storm i think you know um we've got the the backing and the will from fifa to develop this we have amazing coaches again like don scott people like uh, like georgie brunvels and like emma brockwell and um, we've got just this groundswell of support from the public in terms of female football um it's not a niche topic anymore you know this is something that potentially will affect 50% of people on the planet. You know, I'm not saying that they're all going to play football, but the idea that, you know, 
for, for young girls, particularly, you know, that, that saying, you can't be what you can't see. And to see people like Sam Kerr up there, you know, to see people like Jenny Hermosa kind of standing up for herself after the fairly disastrous week, um, what should have been a week full of joy and jubilation, unfortunately has been drowned in turmoil and controversy. But I think that's actually a really important message for, for young female athletes to see as well. You know, times are changing. The, the days of having to put up with the leftovers from the male footballers and athletes, I think those are, are you know, we're, we're moving on a little bit from that, I hope, um, where they're, they're being seen as equal, equal athletes in their own right. Great. Yeah. And like you say, providing the very necessary role models, which I think is so needed at this time, because on the other hand, without going down another avenue, you've got things like OnlyFans, where girls are turning to thinking, oh, I can make so much money doing this. And we need another entity to show, no, that's not the only way you can do it. Get into sport, do something healthy, do something that's going to have, you know, some life and pride to it. So yeah. it's important we can get that balance. For sure. So, I mean, let's get into some of the specifics. You've already dropped that bombshell about ACLs, um, which is like, how can we break up some or break, get into some more um, information for our listeners? Uh, what other things have you kind of learned from yourself or from mixing with the people at FIFA's World Cup, which kind of will surprise our listeners? Well, I think, you know, the ACLs we talked about, but, you know, um, like to just harnessing the power of the menstrual cycle and getting really specific with the different phases of that. There was a lot of talk about concussions because concussions affect female footballers differently. Um, lots of talk about these new boots that are coming out that are very female centric. There was a really interesting tech session there as well, um, where not only are we going to have like centralized medical concussion teams in the tunnels so they can spot and see things maybe that's the referee on the ground can't see but this new ball technology that's emerging now as well i, I kind of i took a note or two because I, just in case i wouldn't remember it all but they're developing new footballs that have these next generation sensors in them and they're particularly excited about these balls because um they're going to really allow two second like real time information getting to the referee in terms of offside kick points um, in terms of it's a very light pressure on the ball. Could it have been a handball? And that, you know, all of that information is being transmitted to the referee straight away. Each player will have 29 different body sensors on them. And then they can log into their, their app afterwards and they can track their own performance, their own movement in terms of acceleration, deceleration. So we're going to have the smart ball at the center of it all, but really starting to harness tech to take some of that subjective um opinion making you know and god bless being a ref i mean who would be a referee particularly on a stage like that when everybody's looking at you and at least 50 percent of the people there are going to be annoyed with decisions that you're making this really gives you some objectivity about what's going to be happening in terms of making decisions around offsides and um and different incursions like that so the tech that's coming down the line is is going to be pretty special um just, I think, really taking those themes of getting the basics right, of harnessing the power of the menstrual cycle, looking at it as a superpower rather than as a burden or a barrier. Because, you know, estrogen is anabolic. It helps us put on muscle. It's anti-inflammatory. Um, it's going to affect, you know, acuity and decision making. 
Um, so what can we do to really tap into those powers and really tailor female athletes training around these different phases? And the evidence that really seems to be emerging is that we really want each footballer or each athlete, each woman to track her own cycle and how that translates into things like mood, sleep, appetite, um, any period symptoms, of course, as well, but also how they're performing on any given day if they are working in athletic capacity, you know, and that will really allow us to fine tune. Well, in this phase, you should be focusing on speed, but maybe in this phase, you should be more focused on agility. And maybe in the luteal phase, we want to think more about endurance, um, you know, and just getting super specific. So we're really coming up with a bespoke um, plan for the person in front of us rather than a recipe, a one size fits all um, approach. So there's this individualization and recognizing where we can really optimize players' performance, but also work on injury avoidance as much as we can control the controllables. So that sounds like a very different coaching responsibility and experience them with with male players although I guess male players as well should be treated a little bit more individually as well depending on their injury history but with a female team then then that that's that that paints a totally different picture doesn't it about who's going to do what this week or yeah so training can be a little bit more individualized but I thought you know Dawn Scott who is an amazing uh, coach, obviously, again, at the highest level with the U.S. women's national team for many years, winning two World Cups with them, was talking about how, yes, we might have the players doing different things according to different phases. But at the end of the day, it's all about the team. So how can you optimize your performance for the good of the team? And really coming together and having these open lines of communication between coaches and players. So it's very conversational. And it's very bringing the best of each athlete coming together at the right time for the big games. Because at that elite level, you look at the explosion of, um, of football or soccer, as they like to call it in the US. Um, we're seeing so many female soccer teams now over there that not only is the intensity of the game changing in terms of speed and power. You looked at some of the power behind those kicks mm-hmm. in the Women's World Cups, but they're also playing a lot more games. So what do we need to be more aware of in terms of recovery and how does hormonal health factor into that as well? Because the male strategies are not going to work as well for the female athletes. I love that idea of of seeing it or, or kind of like calling it more your superpower as opposed to the, the curse, as I think it used yes. to be called. Because if yes. you introduce that at a younger age and these people are seeing their, their, their kind of like role models treating it that way, then suddenly, amazing, you start, being proud of you know what your body's doing and knowing what I need to play with this and get the best out of here and I can do that so is that something I mean again on paper it sounds so easy but it's it's Um, like changing shorts if you could do that then you're going to make a huge difference but in practice do you think this is something that could be implemented with younger players well so what we're hoping to do with this uh, female health project is to really get coaches all the way down through the different Mm -hmm. levels on board with what we're doing. And so FIFA is giving loads of support for this um, in terms of offering support to different member associations or different countries and sending people out to disseminate this information and to really kind of give the coaches, because at the end of the day, they're the center of the universe, you know, within the team. And then we've got the different satellites in terms of like the physios, the doctors, um, you know, the other support staff. 
all there to get the players to be the best that they can be. So if we can get the coaches on board at every level and to see the benefits of doing it this way, because, you know, like the most dangerous words in the English language are, this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, and change can be hard if you've always done things a certain way. But here's what the evidence supports. And then if we can show that, you know, well, actually using things like the, the ACL preventative programs that we know are very effective if they're implemented correctly, we could really have, you know, if you tell a club at grassroots level, what if we could have your physio bill? You know, what mm. if we could like really decrease the rate of ACL injury that you're experiencing? Wouldn't it be worth giving it a try and seeing how that goes? And it, so it's, it is about winning hearts and minds at every level um, and baby steps, obviously. But when we start to see the focus coming on it at the highest level, then hope what we're hoping for is that that will trickle down with the right support from people, you know, with boots on the ground. Um, so that we can meet the coaches where they are and, and really kind of, you know, establish that good communicative relationship about how this is the way that we can really help support female footballers. It's interesting you you say that. It reminds me of Keith Burnett a couple of episodes ago was talking about to make the club invest, you need to show them tangible physical data which shows this is working i know you're spending more time this or you're not letting me do this with the player he was talking about kind of handheld dynamometers you know showing yeah. how this person is recovering quicker the strength is returning and that's how the club is going to invest in it but i guess it's what's got to happen here as well we need to screen every athlete with tangible measurements so you can show this person this time last year yeah. was off for I don't know five weeks during the season or something, and now they've missed two days or something, you know, and that's going to yeah. change their decision. Or you know, I mean, if you're if you're a top striker is out for a year and a half yeah, with yeah, an ACL yeah. injury, you know, and and you know, we we know unfortunately there can be quite a high recurrence rate as well, mm -hmm. and people, you know, there may be a little bit a little bit nervous, a little bit ginger about it, both male and female athletes. Do they ever have the full confidence in that knee again? So what if we could prevent it in the first place? Um, because the research, you know, there, there are programs out there, structured strength training programs that we know have strong preventative qualities. Amazing. I'm interested, did you get or either when you were there in Sydney or as part of, of this whole project, did you get time to actually speak with many of the players to talk about their experiences and their fears and thoughts? Or You know what? Not on this trip particularly because literally I arrived on a Thursday morning. We had the women in football conference all day Friday, all day Saturday. We had a planning meeting on Sunday morning for the, the female health project. And then we went to the final on Sunday night and then I flew home on Monday. God. So the short answer would be no, yeah. not on this trip, but talking to footballers, you know, again, at every level over the years, a lot of the messaging is quite similar, you know, in terms of, what they're worried about um, you know and a lot of common themes again you know injury prevention recovering coming back after injury coming back after having a baby hormonal health you know using you know kind of again those menstrual superpowers and just even reframing the, the thinking around those as well making sure there's good nutritional support as well making sure we're getting these these girls and women into strength training programs um, at an appropriately early age and at an appropriate level for them and again, just getting the coaches into the conversation as well. So, you know, I'm going out and I'm talking to people, again, grassroots level, 
because th those are the, the superstars of the future. And the more we can normalize this conversation, I think it's a winner for everybody. Definitely. Um, one of the things I remember again from Lucy Gilbanks was as, as one of her research papers, she did um, a sample of telephone interviews with ex-international rowers, light rowers, um, to to see what the, not just the physiological effect, but the psychosocial effects of their training had been. I mean, in that sport, like I say, in particular, keeping your weight low is a factor which maybe doesn't enter so much into the football um, and people are starving themselves taking all sorts of medication yeah. um, thinking that no men no menstruation was normal not talking about it but I or wonder good whether, even yeah yeah I wonder with with international or any level football players female football players you know what it would be like having a look into their minds and seeing whether there be any kind of fears and which, yeah. which are similar It'd be interesting to see well, I think definitely what we know is that for athletes who compete in ball sports like football, um, they, in the research, would be less at risk of things like Red S mm. um, and the female athlete triad than maybe sports that are more focused on aesthetics so, or body weight. So runners, dancers, gymnasts, those are the sports where we see higher levels of um disordered eating and low energy availability and that pressure to keep at a certain body weight and size you know boxers and jockeys and people like that but we do know that there is still you know sometimes we forget and we you know we're in this little bubble but there is still this almost badge of honor mentality i'm exercising so hard that my period stopped mm -hmm. and we really need to change that and going whoa okay no your period having a regular period actually means you are really healthy you're doing really well um and to kind of reframe it like that i think is really important because again it takes you from that position of fear and you know anxiety into one of yeah i i am a female you know i am i do menstruate and it's it's really it's a monthly progress report about how well i'm doing in terms of managing energy in as well as energy out and optimizing my performance but you know we do see we see anxiety in in footballers in all athletes returning postnatally you know there's a lot of pressure to return quickly and that's why i think you know people like emma hayes at chelsea really doing great work in terms of you know and, and emma brockwell has been working with her as well um, to bring that awareness of, of menstrual health, of pelvic health, um, you know, kind of female-centric issues front and centre into female footballers' lives, that we're acknowledging that there will be times where you may have an issue with that. But guess what? We have solutions for those as well. You don't just have to pad up and play on. We can help you with that um, because we are catering to the needs of female footballers. You've done it again. You don't have to pad up and play on. Brilliant. It's amazing. I love it when you come out with these gems. <laughs> um, you mentioned concussion. I put a little mental note in here and you alluded to the idea that concussions are different in female players than male. What yeah. are some of those differences then? So just structurally, you know, from an architectural perspective, um, we know that the nerve fibers in around the base of the skull and the base of the brain in female brains compared to male brains, they're smaller. And because they're smaller, they're a bit more delicate. But also, if you haven't got good strength in around the neck and shoulder muscles, 
you're more likely to have that kind of almost whiplashing effect when you do sustain a concussion. So we see that in female uh, athletes who do sustain concussions, the recovery can be a lot longer and a lot more complicated than the male counterparts. We don't have really good research that I'm aware of in terms of the long-term implications of concussion on female athletes. But if you look at, you know, um, people like Brianna uh, Curry, who played for the U.S. women's national team, she's, you know, she had a really a career ending concussion with one of her games. And she suffered for about three or four years before they actually got to the root cause of it, because it was assumed that concussions in male and female were the same, but they're not. And so dealing with that kind of inflammatory process and the recovery process and the different needs that are going to be there in terms of, again, balancing hormonal input and strength deficits around the neck and the shoulders, but also kind of, you know, that retraining of balance and agility and coordination again. Um, it's going to take a slightly different angle for female athletes compared to male. But we are seeing certainly an increase as we have more women playing football we're seeing more uh, female footballers with concussions and we see it in rugby as well. So again, this is where the difference is not just sex-based in terms of male-female, but also gender-based in terms of, again, availability to strength training, for example. Fascinating. I'm going to have to talk to, we had on the show this month uh, during one of the rugby sessions, uh, David Jacko Jackson, who um, had to retire from a very successful career um, because of a series of concussions which weren't diagnosed initially. And his was he, the thing he's discovered is the link between improving your breathing uh, because of the effect of concussions on the medullary respiratory center in the brainstem. And yeah. So I'm wondering if, if, if in theory, then you've pointed out the potential anatomical differences and it's weak around there on the brainstem. I wonder whether breathing techniques could be even more advantageous for females who have suffered from concussion or brain trauma, given that there might have been even more damage to that center. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's certainly a potential issue because we know there can be a lot more damage to the occipital nerves around the base of the skull. Mm-hmm. Again, because you're not going to have the same concussioning. Again, if you, if you look at, at rugby, for example, you look at some of those rugby players and kind of, you know, their neck mm. and their shoulders, they're like, you know, a small truck heading towards you and we don't necessarily see that same level of muscle bulk being there in a protective format for a lot of the female athletes so um i think definitely you know that would be something else that we'd have to to factor in i mean there could be a phd in there for you matt (laughs) not for me but i'll i'll give i'll give jacko a call interesting i'm not sure whether they've gone down um gender differences or sex differences with that but yeah i'm definitely gonna talk to him about it fascinating um look at this i've got 12 minutes Give me more, please. Keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) What else came up that was interesting when you... You know what? um, Just kind of looking at some of the notes here. um, The the theme for this World Cup was beyond greatness. That we, We really just want to take it from beyond where it's at now and what can we do to really optimize the game. And so, we, as I said, we had the most mothers playing ever at the female world, at the Women's World Cup. Uh, we had the first hijab wearing uh, footballer at this World Cup. Um, we had, you know, just lots of firsts in there. But I think really what we want to take away from it is, I suppose, really just understanding that it, it is a game for women and girls to play as well. Um like I remember about maybe two or three months ago, 
Um, again, a couple of high profile ACL injuries and the absolute nonsense that came out on Twitter. You know, everybody was talking about the Q angles and, you know, ligamentous laxity because of hormones. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say I saw more than one comment. Should women even be playing football at this level? I think that's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's tricky, but that's education, isn't it? Gotta... But that's why these conversations are really important, I think, you know, that we can have just an awareness because there is this kind of, you know, like we know that the, we have research showing that it takes 17 years for research, for medical research to trickle down into clinical practice. Mm. Um, so there's no reason to suspect that it would take any less time for it to trickle down into the consciousness of, of normal, non-medical people as well. But that's why these conversations are really important, where we can talk about how it's not estrogen making you weak. Um, and that's why you've torn your ACL. It's maybe because, you know, your lack of access to strength training has made you weak. And that's why you've torn your ACL. But we have a plan for dealing with that. <clears throat> and again, just really important to get the, the coaches as well as the players um, on board with this different approach to training women as women. So I think for our listeners um, who, I mean, some people here might be working with, you know, um, high-end athletes, maybe national, even international athletes, but even for any, even a recreational football player um, who's a woman, um, there's some key messages that we can give them if they're coming along and they've been told already that it's their QL angle or that's, that's affecting this injury. We can kind of gently suggest it might not be so much that. It could be maybe, are you doing your strength workouts? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't like the strength workouts. People look at me in the gym and then come up with alternatives and try and talk yeah. through with them, find them. You know, there's plenty of ways women can train as just women only gyms if that's what they want they can work at home some yeah. of them don't some of them fear getting big and strong that they're going to bulk up um and and become arnies when we can educate them and say that's not really going to happen highly you unlikely know? yeah highly so unlikely. there's an awful lot our listeners can do isn't there to help um, well i think yes that and normalizing conversations about menstrual health yeah definitely. i think those are the two big ones um that i think we if we're working in this field of women's health that we really need to focus on on carrying forward that menstruation is not embarrassing it's not a dirty little secret 50% of the people on the planet do it and um, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be here if your mother didn't do it um it's really really important that we just normalize awareness of the menstrual cycle as well as just talking about it because you know like we we've mentioned that example of going for the darker shorts a couple of times but that has literally been transformative for so many young female athletes. And again, if we know that there's a huge dropout rate when girls hit puberty, let's do everything we can to mm -hmm. keep them keep them in the game. Um, you know, keep them healthy, keep them happy, keep them competing, um, and just really keep them enjoying physical activity and movement. Because, like you know as well as I do, Matt, we're in the middle of a global crisis when it comes to you know lifestyle diseases like diabetes and obesity and dementia so we know that physical activity plays a huge role not only in physical health but in mental health as well so even if you're not planning on lining out for the lionesses you know that that camaraderie we know like even from other research that the people who end up in c-suites in businesses you know the cfos the ceos almost all of them have played team sports um, and that that's borne out in the in the literature as well so 
it, it can really impact every facet of a person's life, being able to enjoy participating in sports. And we just want to make sure that we're removing any barriers, whether that's pelvic health, menstrual health, strength training, access to changing rooms, access to sanitary products in the changing rooms, having a coach who's open to talking about these things and understanding the different needs, you know, making sure that all the, the, the team have, have good sports bras, you know, things like that might not sound huge, but they really make a colossal difference um, for female athletes. Amazing. And again, this is all information that listeners can probably pass on to coaches if they're seeing patients and clients and saying, look, I'll tell you what, yeah. I can have a chat with your coach, give me a phone number and making just that little suggestion. How, how much access have they got to sports bars? Oh, I never thought of that. Well, maybe go and talk to so-and-so and see if you could set something up, take them all down. They'd to sponsor them. Yeah. Amazing ideas. But okay, that's why, so these... you know, the, the FIFA project, just sorry to cut you off, but mm. this, the FIFA, the Women's Health Project Snapshot, it's available, it's free, you can download it. I was going to say, you, yeah. If you Google it, it, yeah. it is a 52-page document, but, but because it's got all the references in it as well, because everything that's in there is evidence-based, and it goes the whole way through from childhood, puberty, menstrual, Amazing. pregnancy, postnatal, perimenopausal, it goes the whole way through and really to give you a framework for having these conversations. So that's why why we did it so that people can download it and take it back to their clubs. And um, because really that's where we want to kind of, you know, yes, we want change at the high levels, but actually it's it's for future generations as well. So getting it out to clubs and to coaches and starting the conversation about treating female athletes well. Amazing. So we'll make sure a link to that goes into the show notes. And I imagine between now and the next few months, there'll probably be some amazing, um, what are they called? Infograms and things and kind of yeah. like PDFs that you could maybe print out and keep in clinic to keep people informed in the waiting rooms and things like that. Um, and also, of course, there's your courses, which I wouldn't let you go away without talking about. There's plenty of information people can get from going to your uh, website um celebratingliberty.com well no it's, it's just amazing information you give as well as free information as well with blogs and things um have we got face-to-face -face courses or online courses what have you got going on at the moment um so basically i have i have a heap of i have about six different online courses just looking at different aspects of of women's health so whether that's hormonal health or pelvic pain um you know postnatal rehab um cancer rehab, bowel health, back pain. Um, I'm particularly passionate about women and back pain because I think that's a really under um, under regarded difference again between the genders. Um, I'm going to be quite busy for the next few weeks. I'll be oh, gallivanting off. I'm going to Pelvicon in Atlanta next week. So I'll be speaking on a couple of different topics there. And then I'll be heading over to Toronto for the International Continent Society. I'll be presenting there and I'll be back in Dubai doing a few different things. So busy times ahead. So I'm not teaching any live courses per se, but if you're going to any of those conferences, you can come and see me and have a chat. Otherwise you can find me on Instagram. It's where I tend to hang out the most. So it's Michelle Lyons underscore Muleyeberty. And then all the information about the podcast that I host and then the podcast episodes that I'm on and different things, and different resources. You can find it all um, in my bio and my Instagram page. It's probably the best way to track me down. Amazing. Definitely. You said everything I wanted you to say. That's great because we need people to, to, to get in contact with you. Um, and also, of course, you're going to be at Therapy Expo in the STA Theatre this year, aren't you? In November, which is very Absolutely. exciting. Absolutely. I'm, so I'm you, really looking forward to that. 
So you're going to be, this is all on the, I think you've got a big Wednesday. You've got 10.45 a.m. in Theatre B, but then at 1.45, you're coming to the STA Theatre and you're going to deliver musculoskeletal health at menopause, um, which yes. we're really looking forward to. So people will be able to see you in the flesh before Woo-hoo. you dash off to some other continent or country. <laughs> um, Nikki Mansfield yeah. here has kind of summed it up. Nikki says, I still can't fathom how the heck Michelle does as much as she does. <laughs> I'm in awe, not only of her passion, knowledge and experience, Aww. but her seemingly endless energy. There you go. There's a testimony. Thank you. Very kind. Um, Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Therapy Expo because it's, you know, it's a a conference that has a a stellar reputation that I've never been to. So I'm looking forward to both being a participant, but also an audience member as well. Um, And of course, like spreading the gospel about uh, female pelvic health. That's what I'm going to be talking about. There's going to be some amazing um, people throughout the conference and in the STA theatre as well. We've got, I think day one is practically women's health. It didn't it wasn't supposed to be that way I didn't look for it it's just you people are some of the most you know inspirational and passionate people that I've come across during the podcast series so day one practically is all about um, women's health and we've even got the the uh, WISP panel we're doing um, again the women's panel with professionals talking to each other Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing and lovely to get a chance to see you in person I can't promise you can get the weather of Sydney and Birmingham NEC (laughs) we're gonna step out Oh, the weather rain. we've had here in Ireland this summer, I'm telling you, it's left something to be desired, let me just yeah. say. True, it's, you are from Ireland, so you are used to a little bit yeah. of, of that, yeah. Um, so fantastic, Michelle. Thank you so much. Pleasure um, as always. I'm going to um, shut down the live lounge. If you could stay where you are, just so I can quickly say thank you to you before we do um, sign off. Um, thanks, everyone, in the live lounge for sticking with us. Um, like I always say, I, I probably wouldn't do this if it was just a recording. I love the live element of it. Um, so it's lovely those of you come along and if you listen to the podcast and you do want to hang out with people in the live lounge and ask our guest questions and like i say just go along to youtube uh, sports therapy association youtube channel on a tuesday and we will be back next tuesday nice segue actually to about therapy expo because next tuesday it will be a therapy expo special normally we do a um uh, ask us anything but we're going to have gary benson founder of the sta with us we're going to have um fiona higgs who is the host uh, of the Women in Sports Therapy podcast. And also we'll have Tim Allardyce, if we have my patient. And together we're going to chew over what we're hoping will happen or what we know will happen this year at Therapy Expo, what we're hoping will happen, and give you an idea of some of the speakers that are coming up. Um, so if you do want to join us for that, that'll be next Tuesday, 5th of September, 8 o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. But as far as tonight goes, thank you, Michelle, once again, um, for giving us your time. It's been Pleasure. lovely watching the weather, the, the lights changing behind you out the window. <laughs> when you watch this oh. back of you love it. It's like a time lapse. It's amazing. Um, but I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for doing that. And uh, if you listen to the podcast, yeah, like I say, come along and join us live if you want to next week. Otherwise, in the meantime, everybody, take care of each other and we'll see you soon. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.